0: We got a Blackhawk down, we got a Blackhawk down.
1: <laughs> Mrs. French's cat is missing. The signs are posted all over town. Have you seen Honey? We've all seen the posters, but nobody has seen
2: Honey the cat. Statistical fact... Cops
1: will never pull over a man with a huge bong in his car. Why? They fear this man. They know he sees farther than they. We'll bind them with ancient logics.
3: And probably the most important thing, don't ever feed him after midnight.
0: What do you mean,
3: biblical?
1: What he means is Old Testament, Mr. Yes. Mayor. Real Wrath of God type stuff. Exactly. Fire and brimstone coming down from the sky. Rivers and seas boiling. Forty years of darkness. Earthquakes. Volcanoes. The dead rising from the grave. Human sacrifice. Dogs and cats living
2: together. Mass hysteria. Hello everybody and welcome again to the Good Trash Cast. And it's October, so we're doing our horror movie marathon. We're moving in a little slowly. We're taking it kind of easy last week we did The Thing, which is more of an adventure film that has horror elements. This week we'll be looking at something of a thriller that has horror elements, a movie called American Psycho, starring the great Christian Bale. But before we can say anything more about that, we need to do some introductions, and we need to start with a special guest host. For this, our two-year anniversary episode. This is two years we've been with you, dear listener. And we thank you so much for all your listens and all your likes and all your comments and how you've made this conversation a wonderful and beautiful thing. And one of those dear listeners who became a frequent guest host on the show is here with us today. If you could introduce yourself, sir.
4: Hi, I'm Caleb Masters. I've traveled through the deserts and the, the rivers and the seas um, because I got tired of tweeting Dalton on the Twitter. Uh, I had to tell the man to his face... How ridiculous all this garbage is. So, I'm back for this
0: week. This week only. Caleb Masters. Glad to have you, sir. To my left, if you would. My name is Dalton Stewart, and guys, I'm sorry I can't actually record this week. I have to return some videotapes.
2: Excellent, excellent. Good point, sir. Across the table, if you would.
3: I am Arthur Gordon. Feed me stray cats. (laughs) That's the best. Thank you. Uh, to my
2: right man, if you would.
5: My name is Alexander Bohannon, and listen, you'll have to excuse me. I have a lunch meeting with Cliff Huxtable at the Four
1: Seasons in US. <laughs>
2: my name is Dustin Sells. I'm going to stab you all to death and play with your blood before the show's over. Oh, well, gosh. Did you say you were in acquisitions and mergers? <laughs> and murders and, and executions. executions. Yeah. <laughs> So we're going to be talking about this movie, but we've got to warn you, dear listener, this is not a review show. It's an analysis show. What we do is we take the films that will never find their way into a film studies course syllabus, and we're going to apply the tools of film studies, film theory, critical theory, and all of that jazz to these, to these movies. And in this case, it's going to be American Psycho. So there will be many, many spoilers coming up for you, because review shows avoid that sort of thing, and we're just not that kind of show. But before that we will give you a chance to listen just a little bit. If you want to just listen a little and know what we think of the movie and then watch it and then have all the spoilers come your way, here is your warning. We're going to have a quick synopsis from The Voice of the Cinema, Mr. Arthur Gordon, and then we're going to have a quick thumbs-up, thumbs-down reviews. Mr. Arthur Gordon, if you would, please, sir.
3: A wealthy New York investment banking executive hides his alternate psychopathic ego from his co-workers and friends as he escalates deeper into his illogical gratuitous fantasies.
2: That's right, dear listener. It is the prequel to Wolf of Wall Street. (laughs) It's a little darker.
1: (sighs) Wow. Let's go on. We gotta get out of here, buddy gotta get out of here. Let's go, fucking run. Let's run like we're fucking lions and tigers and bears. Let's run. Let's fucking run. Let's fucking, run. Let's fucking run.
2: Go. 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 Well, let's move on with our quick thumbs-up, thumbs-down reviews. (laughs) Just a couple things that work about the film, or maybe don't work if it doesn't work for you. And that way the listener can know our tastes and our biases, but they can also have sort of an indication whether or not this is a film that works and maybe something they want to see if they have not seen it at this point. Mr. Dalton Stewart, I ask you first.
0: You know, I was really excited to uh, talk about this for the show because I hadn't seen this movie in quite a while. And I gotta say, it holds up. You know, it's got a really strong cult following, um, particularly with people around our age. Um, but I hadn't seen it since I was probably nineteen or so, so I was really, you know, relishing the opportunity to revisit it. And I, I've gotta say, it's it's only gotten better. It is so surreal and so strange and so dark and so interesting. And I don't. There are a lot of films with culty followings. Um, one of which we've done for the show Donnie Darko that when you watch them you're like what's the big deal but there's so much going on in this movie and it is just so gonzo and in your face and transgressive that it refuses to not be paid attention to Uh, and there's such a conversation going on with this film and there's so many different things you can talk about when you watch this film and and again uh, quality of the film you know withstanding Christian Bale's amazing performance withstanding there is just so much going on in this film. and I'm sure it owes a huge debt to the source material uh, by Bridie Um But there's just so much going on about consumerism and <clears throat> misogyny. And I'm sure we'll talk about all of these things once we get into analysis. But the fact that there is so much valuable analysis that can be brought to this film is something that I think is part of what makes it so good. Uh, four and a half bathtubs full of uh,
2: Paul Allen out of five <laughs> bathtubs full of Paul Allen. <laughs> it's an unfortunate end for Jared Leto in this movie, let me tell you. Uh, Mr. Arthur Gordon, what said you?
3: That Christian Bale, am I right? Indeed. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. I feel like this movie was written for Jim Carrey, especially that Huey yes. Lewis in the new oh scene. Oh, Yes, God. I yeah. see That it? was Christian Bale. improv. That was oh, not yeah, the script. it was. Yeah. Christian Bale knocks it out of the park, I mean, every time he's on screen. He's probably one of the best working actors currently, um, A modern younger Gary Oldman, uh, maybe a little more charisma and pizzazz. But uh, the guy, the he steals the movie. Uh, the script is strong. It's just, I think it's just Layer Dalton just kind of hit it. It's there's so much going on. It's, it just works on so many levels. The satire works. It's funny. It's disturbing. It's dark. It's beautiful. It's a perfect film. Oh, it's a deeply upsetting movie.
2: Yeah, excellent. Thank you very much, Mr. Caleb Masters. What say
4: you? Uh, it's a fantastic movie. Uh, my uh, history with the film, very similar to Dalton. I probably saw this one time on AMC when I was like 18, maybe. Needless to say, this was an entirely different viewing experience and pretty much an entirely different movie. And of course, I've got a new set of eyes with this. And I think it really stands up. I, I actually, uh, and I'll get into this a little bit of my analysis, but the fact that this movie came out in the year 2000 is kind of brilliant. Uh, perfect timing, uh, great commentary for the for the for the turn of the, of the century, and I, I think uh, even if this isn't a, isn't a movie you know you're gonna fall in love with, there's so much to uh, to, to take from the movie, uh, so much to bring to the movie too. So uh, yeah, this is a great movie. Uh, you know, I I would uh, I agree with Dalton's four and a half bathtubs full of uh, what was his name Paul Allen <laughs> Paul <laughs> four and a half <laughs>
2: bathtubs full of Paul Allen blood out of five. Thank you very much, Mr. Caleb Masters. Miss Alexandra Bohannon, what say you?
5: Hey guys, it's the moment—the moment where the Token Girl plays the Token Girl card on the show about misogyny. I have to say, I really enjoyed this movie, but it—it it, it scared the crap out of me. I oh. have to be quite free, quite honest.
0: Oh, it's horrifying and yeah. deeply mm-hmm. upsetting. Yes. It is yeah, deeply absolutely, upsetting, absolutely. and
5: I—I I guess I will attribute it to some of its inherent brilliance. The fact that it was kind of a lasting effect, pretty close after for for a while after the movie was uh, concluded. Um, Overall, in terms of mechanics, the film is expertly. Done. The film is like an entire gift set, and you've seen that, like ten of these cuts, like the Huey Lewis in the News scene. Like you've seen all of the gifts, and now you finally see the source material, and you realize that it's all equally brilliant, and that they all convey such great emotion in about every scene. Um, I don't have any complaints in the soundtrack. I love the soundtrack so much. I just <laughs> want to marry it because that's like my my. This is like my genre time. In film score um, land, overall it was it was deeply troubling, expertly done, and the amount of gore I saw versus not seen made it more inherently upsetting to me. Um, I would definitely give it ten out of eight out of ten eggshell business cards out of ten taupe ones. <laughs> Excellent,
2: eggshell. Egg, egg. egg eggshell is by
0: far more Whoa. superior than taupe. It's called bone. Oh, thank you. I, Alex said something that made me think. Before we jump into analysis and Dustin's review, I did have a quick question for everyone, if, if I might. If a film is written and directed by a woman, and if it is misogynistic on purpose to say something about misogyny, is it still misogynistic? I don't know. That that's it's, it's really up to the, the trade
4: question. Yeah, uh, I think I, I really think that that you know. Does ta- kind of tie into objectively, that's hard to read. It's up to each viewer because some people mm-hmm. will argue that, that is very misogynistic.
0: I think it is, but, but I think it is on purpose. Yeah, yeah I, yeah. I, I, mean, I think to
2: prove a point that is actually fighting misogyny. I, I, I totally agree with you on that. Yeah, the, the, I would say exactly what Caleb said. I think it's, it's an anti misogynistic movie by displaying yeah. the ugly underbelly the of the yeah, right? yeah, the I satire salvages, and it makes it a mess, yeah.
0: I mean, it was, you know, very. Alex, you said it stuck with you. What, what are your thoughts on that?
5: I mean,. I mean, uh, I, <laughs> I'm glad I watched it with somebody else, I have mm-hmm. to be honest, because that, otherwise I will, I would have gone to bed really, really upset.
0: The, well, the scene where he goes back to Christie's after she has already, like, gone to his apartment once and had to go to the hospital.
5: <laughs> yeah. When he yeah. tries,
0: when he tries and then convinces her to go with him again is just, that whole sequence is really, really, really upsetting. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
5: I mean, all of it is upsetting yeah. Whenever they're fornicating on the bed And then, like, she <sighs> Fornicating uh, Well, I mean, you know, that's what I'm gonna call it
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> Under the
5: sheet, it's implied yes. And then, like, she just starts see blo- sees oh, blood Sees yeah, blood coming was, out of her That, yeah. like, that was the one that I was like
0: Gross yeah. yeah, Yeah
5: Cause it's like, okay From a woman's point of view Okay, I just imagine that Actresses like my size my weight whatever like pretty much any guy can do that to you any guy can hold that down and then be having having sex with you and then stabs the shit out of you and like that can happen to anybody and that that can (laughs) that can mess with you like with your perception and it, it plays on this like whole vulnerability thing as a female that you will never escape, which is, you know, a sad reality.
0: It's a valuable lesson about casual sex, kids. Remember... Anytime you go to someone's apartment, they can murder you.
5: <laughs> that is a legitimate thing, and that's
0: something for all genders to take into consideration. Absolutely, well, we've been around enough, Dustin. What are your thoughts on this film review? Wise, yeah,
2: I concur with everything that's been said around this table. It's a fun movie; I like it a lot. It's it's definitely uh, worth your time, your listener. I think you should check it out. Let's move on. Let's talk about our analysis. That's what we're here to do. We're here to talk about what's going on the inside to to to, to look at the meat and bone that is inside this film and to examine what we're dealing with.
3: You're cutting to the quick there, aren't you? It's
2: <laughs>
5: excited.
2: So, I begin with you, Miss Bohannon, if oh. you would, ma'am.
5: Well, I'm going to talk again about the violence displayed in this movie because it's some pretty graphic violence. I mean, it's not graphic in our total recall, the thing type way, which is... Awesome. It's desensitizing in the way that it's conveyed. Um... But this is, I feel like this is violence done right, which makes it even more terrifying because the, I would hold up my pillow or my notebook every single time something you know, violent would happen on screen and then I'd ask Keith, hey, is there anything crazy happening? He'd say no. My imagination was already generating 10 times the worst images for me to feast on for the rest of the evening. I feel like the director, and remind me of her name, Mary Herring. Mary Herring.
2: Correct.
5: Is she's just sending this message, and the message I got from the violence um, is for really resonates with me, and especially with you know things happening in 2014. This was that movie was made in 2007, in the 80s. That this gendered violence is pervasive, and it's never going to go away. Um, the message I get is, despite this passage of time, and despite the technology getting better, and our society becoming more progressive. Because she could have set this film today. She could have, well, she could have set it in 2000. And, you know, the same message could have been conveyed. Why, Why 1980? Besides the fact that she's demonstrating that the passage of time does not change a man's attitude in this extreme case towards a woman. And seeing them as objects and seeing them as property. And the comment about the what's the the one that the woman that's smart and and funny, she's the one that's ugly and so she's just not worth your time. I just never the fact that it still demonstrates to me and the most terrifying thing that it demonstrates to me is that it still happens. Men still treat women like this. It's really moving and frankly probably the scariest movie you'll watch during october because of that because you could be afraid of ghouls and goblins and it gives you some great scares and there's lots of blood slapped around on the screen but a social issue like but a rich
0: guy will actually rape you yeah a
5: rich guy could be holding you down and stabbing you to
0: death yeah to death
5: and so the fact that someone like a rich guy like this could think these things and okay it's a moot point it probably didn't happen all of his sick fantasies i get that that's fine but the fact that he detailed them in his journal that his secretary finds at the end of the film i mean that's still i think that's even scarier than if he had a bucket of paul allen in his cupboard you know the fact that he's thinking all these things about just about every woman he encounters is frankly terrifying to me Absolutely. Yeah. Ha, Heath mentioned this during the movie, and I found it absolutely brilliant. He said this is 4chan the movie, and I... <laughs> <laughs> can you not wow. see it? Like, the uh, the internet... Okay, not just 4chan, but the, uh, the anonymous internet's attitude towards women in general as women are objects, women are objects of scorn... You know, the only good thing about a woman is the fact that she's hot, and nobody, if you date a woman that isn't an 8 out of 10 with non pointy elbows, you're going to be a, objects of scorn yourself. It's a, it's a fortune. Yeah, no, no, I know what it is.
0: That's why I laugh. Yeah.
5: Um, so the fact that, you know, this attitude is even easier to convey through an anonymous medium like the internet, I mean, it's, It's a pretty freaky movie for a reason, and the fact that these themes will never go away is possibly why it's the scariest movie we'll watch during this time.
0: Buckets of Paul Allen, the name of my
2: future punk band. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) It's a really, really good line. Thank you very much, Miss Bohannon. Mr. Caleb Masters, what say you, sir? Uh,
4: So, I mean, this movie, as we kind of talked about, there's a lot of different things that you can take from it. But I think one of the things in the forefront of this movie at the top is uh, superficiality. Mm-hmm. Uh, postmodernism, modernism uh, you know, surfaces. Uh, so what I want to talk a little bit about is a theorist named Frederick Jameson who kind of came up with the idea of a simulacrum simulation. And uh, the reason I think this movie is highly appropriate for the year 2000 is this is when we are really starting as a nation, as a society, as a generation, to ask ourselves these questions. Who are we? What is the status of ourselves? And this movie is... Bring into question questioning consumerism, questioning uh, you know the, the value of money, questioning uh, how our society had, decides to commodify each of us. Uh, so this movie that's kind of all over. It's uh, especially obviously through Mr. Patrick Bateman. He is he is the rich white guy. He's made it successfully. He is at the top of the game. But now he just wants to fit in uh, because he wants to look good on the surface. He knows he's a psychopath. He's obvious, I mean, clearly, he knows he's a psychopath, he knows what he is, but he just wants to fit in. He wants to look like your average Joe. And I think what this movie does uh, is uh, kind of looks at things like uh, style, uh, with things like the music, uh, it's hip to be square, uh, some of the, the lines he talks about, well, you look marvelous, there's nothing left to say. You look great. Things on the surface look great. As a society, we look like we're at top of our game heading into a, a new era. That but, opener when he pulls off the yeah. rubber mask.
0: Oh, yes. oh that was is so, so wonderful, fantastic, incredible. The
5: continued obscured face like in a taxi cab where he's sitting. It's next a mint to face her
0: mask, him. guys. Yeah. It's a mint face mask. <laughs> Bunch of plebeians. <laughs> <laughs> um,
4: so yeah, I think this movie is definitely looking at. Uh, I think questioning at two thousands. Who are we, and what are the issues we're looking at? Uh, and I think that ultimately the conclusion it kind of comes to is that we live in a very fake society. Yeah, we might look like we're at the top of our game. Uh, people may look great on the surface. And that's what we all strive to do, right? We strive to look successful. We strive to, uh, we strive to look like they have the perfect trophy wife uh, or husband. Although this movie is very misogynistic, so we'll go with wife. Yeah. Uh, and apparently she's blonde, based
0: on this movie. Always blonde. Always blonde. Mm-hmm. Uh she so, has to be blonde. I cannot trust you how important that is. <laughs> That's a point that may come up again later.
4: And I, I like to, uh, when he ever, uh, and I, I think another point that ties into the fact that he's trying to be normal is when he's questioned uh, by the detective uh, about like what he, how he knew uh, Mr. Jared Leto over there. I can't remember his name, sorry. Paul Allen. Paul Allen, sorry. So, so basically, he, he is trying to uh, attack the character of his victims. So Paul Allen, Paul Allen... Alan <laughs>
2: Edit that I'm, yeah, say it all over. <laughs> like uh, he calls him a Jeez.
4: weird closet homosexual when he himself is at least bisexual and experimenting. So uh, I think the movie kind of am I, I crazy? Wait, what? Yeah, you're, you're, you're Where did, wait, no, the the, I the guy not.
5: the guy came the on the, guy comes the him bathroom and he's, and he's gonna
4: kill him, but then he has I don't know,
2: I read that look the, he had the, as the, he was lusting after his engaged to his uh, yes. his mistress. Yes. He's bi. I, I
0: I think no I think Patrick Bateman definitely wants to, to ball. I think guy. he does too. No, I, I think he, does. he just likes the. Tits. No, he's, he's like
2: the self-hating sort of. No, no, no yeah, exactly. He's, he's like he's like the in character in well, uh, American Beauty though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He,
4: he's, he okay. He kills a man who looks who has a slightly nicer car than him. He wants that man. He does like that, and that sort of. I don't know if he one. wants
5: to be in that man. I think he might just want to be him. <laughs> well, some... but
4: there's a little. Sometimes it's it
5: a little. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess the line yeah. can get blurry. like are I could definitely... things
0: I'll say. I think there's some validity to that, Caleb. I do. Yeah, I, totally I don't do. think you're crazy. I, I think there is definitely. A... There, there are some readings that, that would. I, I didn't go this route, but I, I think you definitely could take that path of, of Patrick Babin being a, a self-loathing, closeted yeah. uh, gay man. I mean, I, I definitely
4: picked up at least vibes of that. But, uh, yeah. The point being, he's trying to attack someone and make them look not normal. They're, yeah. they're abnormal uh, because he wants to appear normal. So, uh, yeah, I think the movie rounds out, especially with the ending, the, the closing line, this confession has meant nothing. It is a really great way to state that this movie is really saying, it doesn't, society doesn't care about us. It cares about how we look. It cares about all things on the surface. But really, it doesn't care about who we are, who we really are. Uh, no matter how dark and twisted that is... Our society is all about the surfaces and all about how things look.
2: Excellent. Thank you very much, Mr. Caleb Masters. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what analysis have you brought for us this evening? Around the table we shall go.
3: Uh, What I think is important to note about American Psycho And what adds a certain layer to it Is the use of music Uh, Much of the film's soundtrack shifts in and out of the diegesis of the film Oftentimes, when a song comes on It first shows up in a non-diegetic manner And then the shots within the film Reveal that the music is in fact being listened to uh, Within the diegesis of the film Or within the cinematic universe that is created it also reveals and further confirms information about the character of Patrick Bateman and the way he works. There are three key examples of this through the film. Uh, the murder of Paul Allen to Huey Lewis, the first menage a trois set to Phil Collins, and finally the second menage a trois in which is set to a cover of Whitney Houston's The Greatest Love of All. <laughs> Each of these songs reveals something more about the character Patrick Bateman, his motivation and the satire the film is constructing. Uh, we look first to the character of Bateman who is presented as a narcissist. Uh, who is seemingly sitting at the top of the world on Wall Street? He is his biggest fan and doesn't like to be outdone, even though he does look like all the other big wigs with their suits and glasses and business cards. It even gets to the point where we see that he is confused for the other associates that we see. Uh, looking at Huey Lewis's lyrics uh, Now I'm playing it real straight, and yes, I cut my hair. You might think I'm crazy, but I don't even care because I can tell what's going on. Firstly, the lyric, you might think I'm crazy, reflects the self-awareness that Bateman exhibits and continually brings up, as he calls himself utterly insane and constantly blurts out his motives, which are in turn laughed off. The last lyric here, because I can tell what's going on, reflects that the heightened mindset that Bateman appears to have, uh, something akin to breaking the fourth wall. We hear it in his voiceover that he seems to understand uh, that his world functions on a different level than most people's. His time is more valuable, his charisma is more captivating, and he believes he exists in some superior plane of existence, uh, which is a true world for himself. Next, Lewis states, I'm working out most every day and watching what I eat. They tell me that it's good for me, but I don't even care. I know that it's crazy. I know that it's nowhere. Uh, this is, once again, telling of Bateman's life and character. Uh, Lewis' lyrics refers to working out every day and living a healthy lifestyle. Uh, that is exactly how Bateman lives. He takes care of himself. He works out. Uh, when offered his own sorbet, he says that he's on a diet. He can let nothing harm his looks. The song again shadows Bateman's life, saying that they tell me that it's good for me, but I don't even care. I know that it's crazy. Uh, The song leads us to believe that the subject is doing these things not for help, but just because that's what expected of him, because that is how society is supposed to see him, going back to the superficiality of Caleb's argument. Correct. This is how Bateman acts. For him, everything is about image and status and perception. Uh, He doesn't do things because they are healthy or good for him, but because he has an image to maintain. Jumping forward with Susudio in The Greatest Love of All, uh, we can find further understanding of Bateman and the relationships that he tries to maintain. In Susudio, uh, we find an interesting relationship, quote, There's this girl that's been on my mind all the time, Susudio, OO. Oh, oh. Now she don't even know my name, but I think she likes me just the same. Susudio is an interesting choice, as it removes a formal identity from the girl, And replaces it with Susudio. Susudio seems to fill in for the girl's name in the song. In the film, we see a similar trend as Bateman meets with different call girls and women and he renames them. Uh, He removes part of their identity here, slightly taking away from their personality, before he takes their life. The second part of this verse identifies uh, that the woman doesn't know much about the main character, not even their name. Uh, Many of the girls in the film arguably like Bateman because of his looks. Without even finding out his name, he even in fact gives false names at times, meaning if they do have a name for him, it's not his real name which leaves a separation between him and his identity and how they perceive him. And finally, quickly moving to The Greatest Love of All, the song isn't played in full and it is actually a cover by the London Orchestra. However, the lyrics are still important for our story and our understanding. People need someone to look up to. I never found anyone who fulfilled my needs. A lonely place to be and so I learned to depend on me. Everything Patrick does is solely for himself. It feeds his narcissism, it feeds his image, his ego. He lives in this solitary mental state where everything builds and he lashes out with violent tendencies. Bateman is a hollow shell uh, that can barely be fulfilled by his own actions. The chorus of Houston's song echoes this sentiment. Not to walk in anyone's shadow, to step out for yourself and to take care of yourself. No one can treat you better than you can treat yourself. There is no greater love than that. The other thing of interest is that both this song and Hip To Be Square attack the idea of conformity, uh, which I believe Dalton may be addressing a little later uh, with his... uh, with his argument. <clears throat> the soundtrack here in America's Psycho is not only enjoyable, but it serves to remind us that oftentimes every decision within the film, from lighting to staging to costuming, and especially music, can add much more to the story and the characters presented.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you very much for that diegetic, non-diegetic music reading of the film. Mr. Dolan let Let's say <laughs> you now? Well, um, it kind of just so happened to work out that...
0: Um, what I'm going to say dovetails really well with what every, what everything that has gone before me. Um, I want to fit in is about the closest thing Patrick Bateman gives to a rationale for his behavior. Um, and not just his psychotic behavior. Um, he, he's attacked for the way he, he acts, and I believe it's by Reese Witherspoon's character, his fiance or pseudo fiance. He says, I want to fit in, and it is clearly the most important thing to him, because it's the first time he has, like, said something, and it seemed to mean something, other than his confession to his lawyer, which actually seemed to carry emotional weight to him, but that moment uh, is really what kind of brought it home for me, and it made me think about two things, and that's conformity and capitalism, and I've railed against capitalism enough on this show, I'm gonna do it again tonight anyway, so fuck you, but... I just I know I've done it before, so we're going to focus on conformity a little bit until it leads that direction. Go right on, comrade. When Patrick Bateman talks about music, he doesn't talk about the music. He regurgitates Entertainment Weekly reviews of the music he, music he listens to. That's right. His undisputed masterpiece. That right there, that that recurring chorus he has for how he describes the music he listens to. Um, it's all in comparison to, and, and he makes no qualms about this. It's all about how commercial it is. I don't like Huey Lewis's earlier stuff, but his new stuff is so much more commercial. He wants to fit in. That's why he does everything he does. Now, why does he choose those avenues that he chooses to fit in? Because he is a capitalist and capitalists are rich and what two words do you usually hear followed by rich white men he is a rich white man and uh, Alex touched on this about women being property in this film everyone is property to to Patrick Bateman and to the capitalist dogs that he serves and that's what this film and the novel it's based on are getting at is it's a system that is broken it's a system that doesn't care about you it doesn't care about anyone um I'm sure this will come up again The Wolf of Wall Street talks uh, Matthew McConaughey's character says No one knows if the stock's gonna go up Down, sideways, or in fucking circles It isn't real It doesn't exist
1: I, I gotta say I'm incredibly excited to be a part of your firm I mean uh, <laughs> you,
2: The clients you have are absolutely Fuck the clients Your only responsibility is to put meat on the table Name of the game Move the money from your client's pocket Into your pocket Right,
1: but if you can make a client's money at the same time, it's advantageous to everyone, correct?
2: No. <laughs> Number one rule of Wall Street. Nobody. I don't care if you're Warren Buffett or if you're Jimmy Buffett, nobody knows.
1: If the stock is going to go up, down, sideways, or in fucking circles. At least of all stockbrokers. Right? Mm-hmm. It's all a fugazi. You know what a fugazi is? Fugazi. It's a uh,
2: fake. Yeah, fugazi, fugazi. It's a wazi, it's a woozy, it's a... F- fairy dust. It doesn't exist. It's never landed. It is no matter. It's not on the elemental chart. It, it's
0: not fucking real. <laughs> right, <huh>? right. <laughs> and that's this whole facade that the stock market is built on is this lie of money that isn't even real. And that's what's so mind-blowing. And, and Patrick, again, talks about this. You can look at me and you can see a person by I am simply not Nothing he does has any concrete... By the end of the film, his whole murder spree is called into question, whether or not he did anything. Uh, Except, uh, well, no, even Paul Allen is potentially still alive. We don't know if he ever did anything but have a severe mental breakdown. But again, everything he does is in this pursuit of conformity. And he wants to conform to this high-end capitalist lifestyle, which is rich, which is brutal, which is hateful and disparaging of other people. The only time he says anything nice is to fit in. He talks about, well, there's more pressing issues in the world. And then the longer he goes on, you realize he's making a joke. Because it's not about caring about other people. It's about getting more money. And there's a reason this film is set in the 80s. There's a reason the novel is set in the 80s. It's because the 80s, along with the 1950s, are two periods that when we look back on, we categorize as two things. Rich and all about conforming. They're they're two decades that had their own uh, counterculture movements, to be sure. I mean, uh, in the 80s, you've you've got New Wave and Punk and 50s, you've got the beatnik movement and the beginnings of the hippie movement. You have all these things, but we think about Don Draper and we think about Patrick Bateman when we think about the 50s and the 80s. They are all about suits and white dudes. And I think there's something here for this film. Again, it's not an accident this is set in the 1980s because when else could it have been set? Um, and, and to me, it all comes back to capitalism as, as being ruthless because there has to be a loser for that system to work. And that loser is you if you're hanging out with Patrick Bateman because he's going to stab to death. It's the homeless guy, right? Yeah, exactly. He literally kills the homeless guy. He kills the homeless guy and says, you're such a fucking loser, why can't you get a job? And then stabs him to death. A wealthy Wall Street broker stabs a homeless guy to death and then stomps on his dog.
5: That was the most in, one of the most intense scenes, stamping on the dog. I don't
0: Oops. think I need to be any more clear because the film already did it for me. Capitalism is bad and it hurts people and encourages you to think of people as commodities. It encourages you to exploit and hurt other people because all that matters is winning.
2: Thank you very much, Mr. <laughs> Dalton Stewart, uh, for that uh, excoriating reading of American capitalism. I got a American little heat I'm sorry. And uh, we appreciate it very, very much. And uh, there is a place for you, I'm sure, in the gulags. But we'll move right along um, with myself. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about... The gaze, the look And the particular article I have in mind Is Visual Pleasures in Narrative Cinema By Laura Mulvey A very famous seminal article About just the look And how the look in film Is always a male looking At female object bodies Now I do realize That some of... uh, of Mulvey's theories were critiqued and critiqued out pretty compellingly by Tania Modleski and others, and I'm not going to get any of that tonight. But I do want to talk about this film in terms of its gaze, in terms of the way that it looks and causes us to look and causes us to desire uh, in the same way in that that one of the the big namesakes that are used in there are the films of Alfred Hitchcock. And of course, Psycho itself is a callback to American Psycho. And there we see Norman Bates as the Peeping Tom watching Janet Leigh and desiring Janet Leigh. And we, we see someone stalk and kill a woman, but the gaze itself is always on the woman. It's not actually focused as much on Norman himself as much as we're we're ogling uh, Janet Lee. As you know, she's lovely, so I guess one shook, right? Uh, but that's that's the problem of this kind of cinema is that because it creates this objectifying gaze of women that that's sort of what the critique that Moldy's is trying to offer. Now, What's interesting about American Psycho, directed by a female director, which is calling back uh, films like Psycho, is that the gaze itself is a female gaze, I think, throughout the film. That we are ogling the body of Patrick Bateman. A lot. Throughout the film. <laughs> in, in fact, uh, in, yeah. in the three to three and a half love scenes that we have in the film, it's all about Patrick Bateman. It's all about his body. I mean, we we think of him prancing and flexing his bicep and, and, of course, looking at himself in the mirror. I can do a thousand now. <laughs> during, oh, my goodness. During the menage a trois scene. Uh, and, and so, yes, there's totally that going on uh, there. But there's also the love scene that doesn't happen with his secretary, Gene where if we had any other scene where suddenly the secretary is in her evening gown and in her dress the camera would not be at eye level it would be a bit lower if you're picking up what i'm laying down it would have followed her as she left the room on that lower level focusing on the tighter contours of that dress but it does not the camera stays with Patrick Bateman again back to the menage a that we mentioned earlier when, when uh, the, the, the second call girl who's not quite blonde again Hitchcock's obsession with blondes I think comes to mind here uh, that's not quite blonde takes off her dress and does a little sexy dance the, the camera angle always remains wide and nearly always Bateman remains in the shot and then, then of course he gets his camera and begins to orchestrate his show just like Alfred Hitchcock was so famous for doing Third and finally, I'm going to conflate two scenes. Uh, the scene where, uh, very quickly, uh, Patrick is having a, a tryst with his mistress. And also the scene in which uh, Guinevere Taylor is killed. It, it is the, the, the scene in which there's a, there's a love scene again, but we don't ogle the female body. It doesn't have that really, really kind of traditional sexual grammar. That film has of, of shots of shoulders moving, and then we move to, to the breasts and to the buttocks, and, and those are things that we normally see in those kinds of scenes. Instead, he's covered up with a shirt, and really the only thing the figure that we're truly seeing is Patrick Bateman in, in those scenes. And so our look is on Patrick, and then we have to think about what Patrick's looking at. He's not really looking at the women. As objects. He's not even really, I mean, he is looking at them as objects, but he's not really looking at them. He's looking at his own need. Uh,
0: both Boldy- well, he's looking at himself because getting it on with all these women, I, you know, not to make it all about me. But it brings back to, I fit in because I'm nailing all these hot women.
2: Exactly. Aren't I great? Precisely. Yeah. Uh, the desire of women, uh, in, in Mulvey's article in Classical Hollywood Center, which I think is accurate, is their lack of the phallus. And so they need something to fulfill them. And so we need to, to, to fulfill them. And, I, and, then, and all the uh, prepositions and metaphors and all that sort of stuff are apropos, I think. In this case, and so that that absent phallus and that desiring woman what we see with Bateman instead is that all just the ever present phallus just trying to inject it anywhere, and that 's kind of where we have the chainsaw scene at the end of the the second uh, sex scene uh, with the, with the prostitute Christy. And and all of this sort of ties together, I think, in my mind to this idea that the look that Patrick gives, though, is towards other men's things, is towards other things. That the look of the film is looking at Patrick as he's looking at the things that he desires. Mm -hmm. And so I think what Mary Heron does quite brilliantly is do something with the idea of Hitchcock. But do something in which that gaze is subverted. And another major influence, of course, in this film is Texas Chainsaw Massacre. We see a cut of it. And, of course, those butt-tracking shots that are so famous in Texas Chainsaw Massacre oh, yeah. are totally absent unless you count Patrick Bateman. Mm-hmm. And, and when do we get those butt-tracking tra- shots?
0: He's running around with a chainsaw.
2: Well, that and when he's in the shower. Yeah. Yeah. And and so that's that's when those things occur. And so he's tur- she's turning all these things up on his head. And Patrick himself is not so much looking at women as again he's looking at the things that men have, mm-hmm. and perhaps looking desirously at men, mm-hmm. and especially at the life that uh, Jared Leto's character Paul Allen has. Mm-hmm. And so that's where the look is the scopophilia. The love of looking of this film is kind of turned up on, upside on its head from what tr- traditional classical Hollywood cinema does, and so the film becomes kind of really brilliant in a in a real formal sense because we have a female director doing what typically slashers do, but upside down and backwards.
0: I think that uh, that scene where he's he's just
2: doing mad crunches while
0: watching the end of Texas Chainsaw Massacre is one of my favorite parts of like it's, it's just though. so. Awesome, and in how upsetting it is—like it <laughs> yeah. is disturbing in a lot of ways, but it's also fucking brilliant. If I had chosen to do another reading about uh, about you know the male body as performative as about, about violence, I would have talked a lot about that scene. I didn't. I decided not to go with that reading, but I think that reading is like going to be your keystone for at least three or four different readings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a- about violence in the media, about all there's all kinds of readings you could do and just use that that one
2: moment. Sure. Well, thank you very much, dear co-hosts. Dear listener, we hope to hear what you think about this when we get along a little bit later into our feedback section and we give you opportunities to do that. because we want to know what you think about the things that we've said.
1: What you have just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your
2: soul. However, now we've come to a time where we must choose. We must choose shelf or trash, else or instead. I ask you, Arthur
3: Gordon, what say you? Um, Going into this, I was torn somewhere between shelf or stream, but as the discussion has waned on, I would have to say put it on the shelf. I think it's deserving of that spot. Um, definitely not putting it in the trash. I'd say you watch this just going with October, some other satires say Scream. I think you put there. I was reminded a lot of Fargo, uh, with here the violence and the uh, the black comedy. Mm. Um, Silence of the Lambs, Wolf of Wall Street, uh, The Machinist, American Hustle, and The Fighter because Bale.
2: Mm, yeah, bail. yeah, it's a good point. Thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Mr. Caleb Masters, what's say you shelf or trash else or instead. Um, actually, along with, going
4: along with Arthur, I was actually kind of torn between shelving and uh, streaming. Uh, initially, I was leaning towards streaming, but honestly, uh, there's a lot of facets to this movie that I, I think um, I think people should just watch this movie. I think if you're going to study the 21st century, you need to watch American Psycho. If you want to, if you're going to study, uh, you know, again, American culture, I think this is a great movie to look at and uh, so I think for that, for that reason alone yeah you, get, you, you have to shelf this one and uh, to go along with it uh, else it I could say uh, American Beauty uh, I think that yeah, it goes right along with what uh, Dalton and I were saying about conformity uh, fitting in uh, the critique of American uh, materialism and capitalism being a huge one uh, Wolf of Wall Street's already been said so those were kind of my two kind of my two picks but can I say this again
0: watch Wolf of Wall Street with this movie Because, I mean, it's just the perfect fit. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Mr. Caleb Masters. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what say you? Again, yeah, I'm going to echo that as well. I'm sure we all wrote this down. This and Wolf of Wall Street are probably... uh, You can't get a more perfect double feature. um, Because they're both really fabulous satires that absolutely skewer, um, you know... Uh, the stock market and American consumerism and capitalism, and I think it would be better to start with Wolf of Wall Street so you can get everybody feeling real nice and like, you, there is a there is a certain element of power fantasy and wish fulfillment that you get from that mm-hmm. that I think if your brain's not turned all the way on you could be too happy for Jordan Belfort, and I think it's really great to go right into that downer ending of Wolf of Wall Street and right into uh, American Psycho um, yeah, I can't think of a more perfect double feature uh, and I also want to say The Machinist, because they're both Christian Bale films, but not only that, because they both feature really um, stunning <laughs> physical transformations for Bale, uh, and they both feature an unreliable narrator um, and have kind of indie, um narratives that are kind of interesting. I think American Psycho is a better film than The Machinist, but I, I definitely do
2: like The Machinist quite a bit. Thank you very much. Miss Alexander Bohannon. I'm sorry. I also, yeah, shelf it. Oh, yeah. I forgot to say that part. Oh, yeah, you should say that part, yeah. Yeah,
0: I should say that part, shouldn't I? Uh, shelf it. And uh, because we watched American Psycho, I just decided to go ahead and stomp on a a woman about to speak and, you know,
2: was like, No, I'm not done talking! Blah, blah, blah. Well, way to demonstrate some misogyny, sir. We appreciate that very much always. Miss Alexander Bohannon, at this point, what do you say?
5: Oh, um, I knew going in that it was going to be good... Um, I wasn't prepared for its intensity, nor its subject matter. I really just thought he just killed, I thought he killed more guys like Aaron, um, Paul Allen, but not so much the chicks, the violence against women um, part. So, I would st- definitely say Shelf It. Um, it's very important. I think it's a very great critique on capitalism. I couldn't tell you when I will watch it again. I would watch it again, but... I need some distance from it and maybe some more uh, perspective on it because it is a, quite an intense movie. Um, for some nice pairings already been said, American Hustle, the another kind of you know, treatment of the past with the, you know, the shady characters and some Wall Street thrown in for good measure. And then I would even go with Fight Club. I mean, it's got that whole mind-bending nonsense. I know that you can't say it, so I'll say it. Um, It's got the mind-bending, the critique of capitalism, the generally bleak look on life as a whole and our economy and our economic system in America. So I think... I would favor Fight Club as a better pairing with this film, but I think Bless both would you. I think both would go really well.
2: well thank you very much, Miss Bohannon. I'm going to go ahead and say Shelf as well. I really think this movie's worth your time and worth having in your home uh, to watch whenever the uh, desire may overtake you, though it may not be all that. I mean, whenever you after. want to watch a movie about misogyny and
0: women getting killed and stabbed. I mean. And, and if that's something you want to watch a lot, then you know maybe seek professional help. And so speaking of men <laughs> using their
2: wealth and their power to dominate women, I think you should watch Citizen Kane uh, oh, with nice. this film. And I think also you should watch the other reference to the film. I think you should take a look at Albert Hitchcock's Psycho and Toby Hooper's um, Chan- Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm, absolutely. And I think uh, that quadruple bill would be um, the scariest night of your life. I don't
0: think I could possibly watch this in Texas Chainsaw Back to Back. Oh my god.
2: Long day.
3: It'd be intense. It'd be hard.
0: It's too hard. Too much. Too much. Mm-hmm.
2: All righty, guys. Well, thank you very much. we got to get the dear listener an opportunity to participate in this conversation through that magical means that we all experience on the
3: internet known as social media. Mr. Arthur Gordon, you know anything about that stuff? Well, first and foremost, they can email us, goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. Uh, they can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash goodtrashgenrecast. And we have no feedback coming in this week from the Facebook. Facebook, you fail.
2: Well, we
5: had a shared article from um, Brigham Brigham Cole. I'm trying to remember what it is. About
2: Shazam being played by... uh, No, that was him. That was you. That was me. No, there is
5: another
4: one. You don't get to be featured in feedback if you're on the show. (laughs) Okay, you can add the part that was me. Um,
3: That was...
5: Um, Tom, Tom Hiddleston crashes a music festival And sings a Hank Williams song Is something Brigham Cole shared to our Facebook page cool. And two people liked it
2: That weren't Brigham Cole and our Facebook page So <laughs> Good times. Excellent well thank you for that Facebook feedback Or bit thereof Mr. Dalton Stewart do you know anything about social media
0: There is an idea of a Twitter Some kind of abstraction But there is no real social media Only an entity Something illusory And though Twitter can hide its cold gaze and you can shake its hand and feel flesh gripping feather, and maybe you can even sense your lifestyles are probably comparable, Twitter is simply not there. Ladies and gentlemen, you can find the Good Trash Genre Cast at good underscore trash. We have two pieces of feedback from one Caleb Vesely coming in this week. The first says one thing, and that is simply Luke. You're correct, sir. Thank you very much. Hey, Vesley, suck it. Uh, secondly, um, <laughs> perhaps uh, anticipating me saying, suck it, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Caleb Vesely wrote in, uh, thanks, and by the way, he didn't actually at mention me on Twitter, he just phonetically spelled out my Twitter name. Thanks, doll underscore, the actual word underscore, stew. The PT demo was not on Xbox. Got my hopes up, and then crushed them. Can I play it at yours? Question mark? Uh, yeah, if you write back in and say Han Solo, sure.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, finally, um, the only other bit of actual feedback we have. Now, I do want to point out lots of retweets uh, and favorites this week. Uh, uh, Brad Everson did that. Randall Bays did that. Uh, lots of stuff from there. Uh, so thanks, guys. Appreciate you. Um, and Stitcher Radio mentioned us again.
5: Oh, so, my goodness. Thanks, thanks Stitcher
0: Radio again. Thanks, Stitcher Radio. Uh, and finally, Brigham Cole said, if you're looking for an awesome video game podcast and YouTube channel, you should check out Inside Gaming, or at Inside Gaming. Uh, I cannot personally endorse that because I don't know what it is, but uh, I also trust Brigham on a lot of things, so maybe check that out.
2: And oh. that's all we've got coming in from Twitter this week. Excellent, thank you very much Of course you can find us on iTunes We'd love a 5 star rating there And a review, that's very helpful For us getting the conversation out there To have uh, more people part of our conversation Uh, We're on Stitcher Internet Radio As Dalton mentioned And we have a Tumblr account GoodTrashHunterCast.tumblr.com But now as the hour is getting late I realize it's time to play the game Time to play the game Time to play the
1: game!
2: (laughs) This week's game is inspired by Christian Bale's performance playing crazy. So this week's game is called Actors You'd Like to See Play Crazy.
0: That's right, Actors You'd Like to See Play Crazy. Brought to you by Christian Bale. Christian Bale. When a DP gets in your way, you yell at that motherfucker because he's supposed to be a professional.
2: So, we're going to give our selections of actors and actresses, perhaps, that we'd like to see bring the crazy to the silver screen. So, Mr. Caleb Masters, what selections bring you? First reaction was Robert De Niro. And then
4: I woke up and remembered there were two really bad movies called, what was it, um Hide and seek and Cape Fear that happened, and I was like, crap! Whoa! Cape Fear is not a bad
2: movie.
4: It's an an alright movie in which Robert De Niro was very not
0: on par for. Cape Fear is awesome.
2: But also, Robert De Niro's performance is not great in that movie. No, it's awesome. You're right, it's not (laughs) great, it's awesome.
0: (laughs) And I will fist fight both of you for not loving Cape Fear. I like Sanford. He likes likes Cape Fear, I don't like it very much. I think it's fabulous. Me and Nick watched that a while back, and the first thing I said as soon as it, as soon as it ended was, that's a movie. <laughs> <laughs> Which is now how I react, and time I'm not sure how to react when a movie is. Ah, what other
2: selections have you, sir, since you have been uh, you know, up You know, to year. keep
4: on the uh, Jeff Goldblum uh, freight train, we got to go with Jeff Goldblum, because who doesn't want to see a stuttering... Man, um, uh, stab, uh, uh,
0: you know, stabber, uh, chaos theory to yeah, death. I, um, and, uh, and now uh, I'm stabbing you.
4: you and,
3: you're uh, going very Kennedy there. And, I'm uh,
0: yeah, no American paper. <laughs>
4: <laughs> I mean, Jeff Goldblum right down the hall with a chainsaw. I mean, Jeff Goldblum. On a Velociraptor. <laughs> Jeff Goldblum <laughs>
3: on a Velociraptor with a chainsaw. As JFK. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Alright, let's get this what train back this, up. Where did this go? Uh, uh, how did we get here? Uh, and and uh, Tom Hanks because that would just be truly shocking. I just, I mean, yeah. Tom Hanks That's good. Uh, going crazy. Can you? I mean, he's like the most mild-mannered actor out there. He's a funny guy. I, I just can't. How would this? I, I can't even imagine. Could you not yeah.
5: argue? He goes crazy at the end of Castaway. I mean,
4: he cries and he's sad for a ball But he's.
5: But I mean, he's, like he's on personifying seat. the. Like
0: that volleyball is like talking to him. I think
5: it's a different kind of career. Are we yeah. talking about like
0: psychopath? Fever. Like,
2: I'm talking like psychopath, the Joker kind yeah, of. Joker. Okay. Yeah.
3: There is a fan cut of the Forrest Gump trailer as a horror film. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty that's that. it's pretty funny. Of course there is. <laughs> that's pretty funny.
2: I love it. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Caleb Masters. Mr. Arthur Orton what are your selections?
3: Uh, first and foremost, because he was up for the role of Patrick Bateman, I'd say Brad Pitt, because he's Brad Pitt, and I'd like to see that. That fits an underrated actor. Well, Fight
4: Fight. I actually thought of that myself. But isn't Fight Club? Isn't he kind of a psychopath? see? I
3: think a little crazy is okay. If you
2: want more crazy, you can make that selection. <laughs> Although, uh, an actor who's done crazy, but you want to see more crazy? Yeah, gotcha. you did
3: pick the guy that played Taxi Driver. Taxi- yeah.
2: Oh yeah. Okay. Uh,
4: I so.
3: Yes. No, I wasn't. <laughs> uh, secondly, because he was initially in the talks for the Joker, I'd say Jude Law. Mm. Oh, like
5: he was in talks for the Joker.
3: He was rumored at the time. What? Um, taking his detective from prisoners to another level, I'd like to see Jake Gyllenhaal go like completely crazy where he doesn't know what's right, what's wrong, and what's real. And he just loses it. As I a think copy. that's what that Nightcrawler movie is. And finally, I would say Anna Kendrick or Emma Stone. Just, you know, change the things up. and They're America's sweethearts, so why not? It'd be fun. Just see them just go crazy. Insane.
2: Good times. I like that. Very much. Thank you, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Miss Alexandra Bohannon, what say you?
5: <sighs> I just have one answer and one answer only, and it is Benedict Cumberbatch. That's all I need to say. Maybe I just want to see him run around with the chainsaw down the stairs and then you can understand what that exactly means. Wearing nothing too
2: hard but about a pair of it. sneakers. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Is God
5: I mean that's pre- He's pretty much Almost there All of the ca- He's going to get Typecast God. He probably already Is typecast so hard As this like Sherlock Intellectual Holmes. Autist Crazy Kind enough. of guy um, So Asperger's Kind of guy But um, yeah, yeah He's He's already typecast But it'd be fun to see him Play like an actual Deranged Someone or other Someone that you You like to hate A lot That'd be fun super
2: fun. Excellent, I like that pick very much. Mr. Dalton Stewart, who would you like to see bring the crazy? Well, I got a couple, two or three. Um,
0: but all here's the thing, Arthur mentioned this, and it happened to me too. Everyone I thought of has already played crazy. So, I'm gonna More crazy from them. More crazy from them. Um, spoiler alert for a recent film, uh, Rooney Mara, and I'm not just mentioning her because I'm in love with her, uh, but she's great in Steven Soderbergh's Side Effects, uh, where she plays full-on crazy pants. Um, Basically Patrick Bateman, but without the stabbing, just more manipulation. Mm. Uh, it's fucking great. She's really good in it. Um, and it's a solid movie. Jude Law's in that too. Mm-hmm. I recommend Side Effects. I don't think it got enough love when it came out. It's one of the only Soderbergh films I can unequivocally say I love. Soderbergh, sorry, Soderbergh loves films. I can only fuck everything. It's one of the only Soderbergh films I can really unequivocally say I, I love. I'm gonna I'm gonna say love because I enjoyed it that much. Um, Brian Cox. And then immediately I was like, oh yeah, he played Hannibal Lecter first. How did I forget that? So, more Brian Cox being crazy, because he can shoot the scenery with the best of them. Matthew McConaughey played a certain kind of crazy on True Detective. But I'd like to see some full... And also he was in that one Texas Chainsaw, That's his,
2: Chainsaw Texas Chainsaw 3, he's pretty crazy. Free,
0: oh, shit! He is in Frailty. Spoiler alert for Frailty. <laughs> Whoopsie-daisy. Um, so, McConaughey's played Crazy. I need more of it. Um, uh, yeah, I'll take it. Finally, someone who actually hasn't played Crazy and I think would do a bang-up job, uh, Adam Driver, who's got a small part in Abraham Lincoln and a small, or just Lincoln, rather, sorry, uh, and a small part in um, Inside Lewin Davis. Uh, you probably recognize him mostly from the HBO series Girls, uh, created by Liam Dunham. And is going to be the bad guy in Star Wars Episode Seven. Uh, so allegedly, might, allegedly, allegedly he plays the bad guy. Um, so we might get to see him play crazy real, real soon. Oh, yeah. Um, but I like him a lot, and he plays a very kind of specifically weird character on girls. Oh, so yeah. I think he could definitely play full bore bonkers.
2: Uh, I like him a lot, and I can't wait to see him get more work uh, as the years go on. Excellent, I like that very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Uh, I'd like to see uh, Lindsay Lohan stop doing crazy in real life and do it for the movies. That would be kind of nice. Uh, so maybe we can get her in some sort of role. Dustin, <laughs> the... that reference hasn't been topical in five years.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, the no, that's the dead Mills, like... dead,
2: kid. <laughs> <laughs> this is a from the grave bit of crazy, but I would love to have seen um, some Phil Mo- Philip Seymour Hoffman just playing the nuts. Wait, he
5: ha- he, didn't. he didn't.
2: I don't. Not that mm-hmm. I'm aware of. Um, I mean, he. I haven't seen the.
3: There's Lumet film.
0: There's a fabulous scene in, um, Punch Drunk Love where yep. he gets into with, uh, Adam Sandler.
2: He's a little me. sociopathic, yeah. Uh, well,
0: awful. he was the bad guy in MI3, and he gets borderline sociopath
4: in that movie at the end. Okay. I mean, not definitely not full-on crazy, though. But, but we haven't
5: only... seen anyone, him dismember anyone. No.
2: no. That's, I think that's the point. He's been adrenaline junkie crazy in Twister. Oh, yeah. For really like cool. ten seconds. So there's that. But I would I would love to have seen that, and I'm sad that I did not. Just to play against type, i like to see George Clooney do just, just pulling his hair out crazy. Oh, my
5: gosh. See good. him, like... He could be Patrick Bateman now, just like, I'm still the suave Wall Street asshole, and I still dismember chicks in my apartment. Like, that would be so freaking legit, you guys. Mm,
2: It'd be good times. One actor that we've actually seen a little bit of the crazy from in Dressed to Kill, Brian De Palma's film, but I'd love to see lots more of it. And now at his age and being much older, I'd love to see some sweaty-toothed madman crazy out of Michael Caine. I think that'd be fantastic and uh, lots and lots of good fun. Dear listener, we'd like to hear what your selections are. What actors would
3: you like to see bring the crazy? Can I just make one more suggestion? Sure, you can. I was thinking about this while she was talking about Mr. Cumberbatch, but what if we did like this kind of remake of Psycho with Martin Freeman as Norman Bates? Because he's got this really oh, cheerful demeanor. He's just really. Dang, I, I'm in. I'm all in. My like Bilbo bag is just off the loose. Take
4: my uh, money. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Much I recommend. FX's Fargo. I need to watch it. I need to watch uh, it. You're yeah, gonna, too. you're gonna get what you're gonna get what you want out of that.
3: Okay, guys, just watch Fargo. Mark good. Freeman,
0: good. playing, real interesting and really against
2: type. Well, good stuff, guys. We love hearing all that. Let's move on and conclude the show with what we always conclude it with, which is what has got us fired up this week in pop culture. Alex, are you fired up?
5: Fired. I am. I'm firing right now. Okay, so three things. uh, One of which I mentioned before. The latest uh, patch for Dota, it's not as bad as we thought, but that hero does have a 37% win rate and it detriments any team. Okay, so we'll move right along. Uh, Dear
0: listeners, for those keeping score at home, uh, of the, I'm gonna say, 10 episodes she's been on now, I think Alex has mentioned Dota in her (laughs) pop culture section, At least five times I feel
5: I don't get to talk about it Any other time in public With anybody I know
4: Is there allowed to be a Dota rule? Yeah God if only If we we were cruel If they were cruel enough to do that to you But
5: it's pop culture I'm not making Dota references In my analysis Please Oh yes Well that Bateman move Was totally fan of Lancer I just can't even stand it No (laughs) Fair enough Two more things, and I'll and I'll keep it brief. Um, I w- was catching up. This is really old backlog, but I am working on the final eighth season of House MD. That show is really really good, but it is. I'm so glad that it's over because if it had gone on any longer, it would have just. It was getting kind of bad, but it was get, It would get even worse. Um, and then, last but not least. I I am actually going to talk about a survival horror video game. Yeah, that's right, me. You and I'm wow. fired up about it. Um, but not in the way of I'm ever going to play it. I just know about it, and I'm kind of fired up about it. Dalton, because you're probably or Caleb, yes. Arthur. I don't know, I don't know how know. what your your yeah. PC gaming uh, life is like. Have you guys heard of Five Nights at Freddy's? I have
4: heard of Five Nights at Freddy's. I've never played it.
5: You would love it.
4: Okay. Okay. Why would I love
0: it?
5: Because, it, well, it was released in early August mm. and on PC. I don't know when they'll get a port. I think you play it on phones, mobile, too. But basically the premise is that you're a security guard in a Chuck E. Cheese homage restaurant. Oh, no. the, before you gasp, it gets like 12 times worse. Just keep listening. Okay. You're a security guard at night in a Chuck E. Cheese homage restaurant with animatronics. Five animatronic characters. Huh. At night, the the because of some weird glitch at their robotics, you have to leave them on at night so that they don't like hitch up in their gears. So that means they're they're roving around the building. Your the game mechanic is is you're looking at AV feeds for these rooms. So you're flipping through flipping through different channels, um, looking at surveillance film video. So they all start on the main stage. And then they slowly disappear throughout the night and you're trying to find them throughout the restaurant because, well, they'll just probably come in and eat your brain because that's what they do at night. Um, And there's some crazy jump scares. This is straight up nightmare fuel. I read the Wikipedia page and I was freaked out for for a couple days.
0: Sounds like just absolute. I felt like it was
5: very thematically relevant because of Shocktober, and I wanted to mention it because I'm like telling everyone that might be freaked out about it. If
4: I was nine years old, that would be the most terrifying thing ever. I mean, Chuck E. Cheese with live (laughs) action uh, animatronics right there.
5: And (laughs) the game mechanic it has that you know how whenever I was watching play Hotline Miami and the and uh, Q. Uh, PT, PT. Far to say QP, whatever. PT. Um, there's like that OCD like oh, feedback yeah. loop. Yeah, oh. it's it, it's all over again. We'll we'll make you watch some uh, guys. I'm footage. so glad
0: I finally beat Hotline Miami because now I can have my life back. <laughs> 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 Jesus, <laughs> Ugh, I, yeah. You can't stop. So that's that sounds terrifying, and also it encourages unstoppable feedback loops. Yes, me, which is
2: exactly. Excellent. Thank you very much, Miss and Mister Caleb Masters. What's we'll say you?
4: Couple different things. Uh, First one, uh, I know it's been talked about on the podcast a a couple times, but uh, finally, uh, the game, Video Game Destiny, which has been in development by Bungie for. I mean, we've heard about this thing like two or three years ago now? It's been, yeah. Uh, yeah, They've been working on it for a hot minute. A long time. time. And uh, finally, those of us who are not going to sell out to the evil Microsoft Xbox One can play Halo again on PlayStation 4. Uh, So I am very excited about that game. I'm really excited, though, mostly because. Uh, It seems like the first real game that PS4 gamers especially can all get together and play
0: together. There's not really been a whole lot of big games that have done that so far. Uh, Yeah, Xbox One had that for Titanfall. Yes. Uh, But this really, yeah, I agree, Caleb. It feels like the first next-gen game. Right. All caps, proper nouns and shit. I'm very excited about it as well.
4: Yeah, Yeah, I'm going to be picking that up uh, sometime tomorrow, and I'm sure I'll be playing it uh, throughout the week whenever I get some time. Uh, other choice uh, as I've been reading through the book Gone Girl recently written by uh, author Gillian is it Gillian or Gillian it depends some people say Gillian some people say
2: Gillian
0: did you when you guys talk about this already I miss it
4: we haven't talked about Gone Girl no I really at all.
2: because Venture rule okay
0: guess yeah you. I know uh, I was just gonna say if you spoil the novel at all I'm gonna come across this table and oh, no, smash this file no 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 no, 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 no. I, no no this is
4: like this is like Game of Thrones it's so good I don't <laughs> want to of. I would feel horrible about myself because I want people to experience <laughs> yeah, it it's I great will, I will I will <laughs> <laughs> I, I almost kind of regret reading it because I was so excited about the movie, but it was one of those I just jumped the gun because I'm really pumped for the movie, which is coming out in uh, a little under a month now. So, yeah, we get to see uh, David Fincher do another great movie. Uh, I'm really excited. The source material, guys, is fantastic. So, a uh, book I've been in about 70% into, so I'm almost, on the almost around now and out. So, uh, fired up.
2: That's about all I got this week, guys. Excellent. Thank you very much, Mr. Caleb Masters. Mr. Arthur Gordon. Are you fired
3: up this week? Uh, no, not really. kind of a slimmer, simmer. Uh, just of note because it's fun uh, Guardians of the Galaxy has set atop the box office for six non-consecutive weeks Yes, and that's just kind of heartwarming because it's the little Marvel engine that could you well, knock you know, it, it,
0: it down and it keeps getting back up yeah, I heard curve. it also uh, outgrossed Iron Man yeah. 1
4: no H- Iron Man 1 who would have called that Like it's probably region. not adjusted for inflation but still that's cool wait yeah
3: what you adjust for inflation you should Gone with the Wind because if you do that, gone, gone with the Wind, wind whatever, yeah. Yeah. Gone with the Wind is still kicking everything bad <laughs> <laughs> in <you know> the <laughs> for inflation Red. Red Red Red, you go. Where shall I go? What shall I do? Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Man, have that been released in IMAX 3D? <laughs> <laughs> okay, what kind of world do we live in? Just wait, I'm sure it's coming. you go see Gone with
2: the Wind in IMAX. I would too. Yeah, for what, five hours? Well no. <laughs>
3: Uh, Finally The second thing is I started to rewatch Futurama over the weekend Wow uh, And I completely forgot How funny that show was It really is I have re-entered season 2 And it isn't backing down It's a lot of fun Uh, Luckily it was birthed During the peak days Of the Simpsons Which I think really added To the level of humor And momentum Uh, Matt Groening was kind of Really on his game At that time Uh, Five years earlier Five years later I don't think it works Nearly as well But it is It is spot on It is funny Uh, The voices The animation It's just a wonderful show All around Really charming Absolutely Really fun Thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Mr. Dolphin Stewart, what say you?
0: Well, I'm not sure if I've mentioned this uh, on the show before. I know I've mentioned the Walking Dead uh, game series from Telltale Games, um, but I finished Season 2 of their Walking Dead series. And
5: now you can sell your Xbox.
0: And now I can finally put my Xbox out to farm. Um, Finally. But, man, it was really good. Um, I still don't know which season I like better, but Season 2 is really moving and... But you were between a rock and a hard place at the end, so that was definitely something special to pl- get to play and experience, and Telltale just is really doing something very different with video games that I appreciate a lot. Um, I finally got around to seeing a film uh, from a couple years ago called Cloud Atlas, um, directed by Tom with name, I don't know how to pronounce Wickler, Wickler, who... Twi- Tickler. Tickler, who uh, directed Run, Little, Run, and obviously The Wachowskis. You know them. Um... It is unwieldy as all get-out, but man, if it is not engaging and moving, it's hard to get into. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, It is really hard to get into, but if you haven't seen Cloud Atlas, I couldn't more strongly recommend it. Finally, this weekend, I got to play a uh, tabletop role-playing game called Fiasco. And what Fiasco is, is for three to five players, you simultaneously write and improv a Coen Brothers movie, essentially. Mm Fun. Yes. It is absolutely fabulous. I, I can't... It doesn't... It, ugh, words. I couldn't recommend it more highly. It is a game that anybody can pick up and play. You don't have to have played Dungeons & Dragons or any other tabletop game
3: before. So for two hours you make smart remarks and then at the end of the game it means nothing?
0: Uh, for No, for two hours. It, more Blood Simple and Fargo and Burn After Reading than and Davis and um, every, other, things. other things that you just mentioned. <laughs> um, Yeah, your your horribly laid plans go horribly wrong. Um <sighs> It, they call it a, a game of poor impulse control and something else. I can't remember. Maybe about impulse control.
2: Yeah. <laughs> but
0: yeah, you just roll a couple of dice, you write down some relationships, and then you just kick it off. Go for and it's, it. it's yeah, it's it's very much a game that I think people who are, are professional improvisers might really enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, people who are writers would really enjoy, and anybody can play it. Like it's very easy to pick up and play. You just kind of. It's a good team building exercise. It's a good way to. Get to know your friends better, I mean, I, yeah, it's fabulous. Can't
2: more strongly recommend it. Do that now. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart, for uh, those things about which you are fired. I have one thing that I'm fired up. I have in my greasy fingers right now a handful of pulp novels in two volumes. I've got the novels of Dashiell Hammett, which includes uh, The Maltese Falcon, The Glass Key, Famous Film Noirs. I also have a Raymond Chandler Complete Marlowe novels, which is, includes. The Big Sleep, and uh, Farewell, My Lovely. I have coming in the mail from Mr. James N. Kane, a collection of three novels, which includes The Postman Always Rings Twice. I'm excited. I'm going to read a lot of pulp, hard-boiled detective fiction, and it makes my heart happy, and that got me fired up this week in pop culture. Dear listeners, we'd love to hear what you're fired up about in pop culture because there is much about which one could be fired. And finally, we need to let you know, next week, it's a host pick. I'm the host who gets to do the picking. And. What are you picking? I gotta keep it weird. Keep your finger out of there. That's what I do. And uh, therefore, I've picked Rob Zombie's The Lords of Salem, which is sort of a spiritual sequel to Dario Argento's Suspiria. And so, very, very fun times will be had by all. We're gonna take a look at that movie and bring our analysis to you all next week. So, dear listener, in the meantime, take a look at the Lords of Salem, all of the selections that we've said for our else's and instead's, and take a watch at a movie with somebody that you love and that you care about and have a good conversation because that's what this is all about. It's about how these movies help us reflect on life and see what's going on in the world and maybe make the world a better place as a result. So, until then, we'll see you next time.
0: detectives and the which makes me think of the 40s obviously ever told you guys one of my favorite things to do but swear is
2: Jimmy Stewart oh what, well, what? Well, well, fuck you <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh I'll have to show this to you I have a Warner bloopers reel oh. With a swearing Jimmy, Jimmy Stewart. Oh, gosh. It's the, it's the, it, oh, It's so funny because somebody gets in, Oh, you son of a bitch. you <laughs> 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 the worst I've ever heard. I,
0: I stole this part from Dana Carvey, but the, the way to get into it is to pretend that you're a waiter. As Jimmy Stewart. Wow you don't like the soup? Wow well, you son of a bitch.
3: I used to have a, a blue tape of Abbott in Costello. Oh, that's funny. What? <laughs> Abbott and Costello did a blue tape yeah oh my god
5: That a homosexual reading could come of. Okay, you could just cut that. Yeah, one
0: job. I was just gonna
5: talk about maybe
0: Patrick Bateman. Making is, eye contact with his biceps while he's railing a girl? Yeah. 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 Oh,
5: I just thought he was full of himself. I didn't think that's he wanted to bone himself.
0: Both. I think both. I think if he could bone oh,
5: himself, he would. okay. That's I mean, the difference. But
2: valid. there's a difference. Would you fuck me? <laughs> there
5: is a difference, <laughs> in wanting to bone yourself and wanting to bone all the guys. The, all the sexy guys. I don't
4: think it's sexy, though. It's, I, well, okay. I don't want to go off on too much of a I just think it's he's in love with the status. Therefore, if
0: someone has that status. He's in love with them. He may not actually be in love with them. Yeah. But he's in love with their status and by proxy them. Yes. Yeah, I get that. Sure. Mm. As in love with them as he can be as a sociopath. Right. Yeah, exactly.
3: Train back on the tracks? Trains what on the tracks. Right. I'm take away conductor. Go. Yeah, yeah exactly. Tired. There's
0: no way he's staying in.
1: At your party, he's alone Eating all your queso dip, talking on your phone Uninvited, he just sort of walks into your home What don't you f***ing understand? Now Christian Bale is flirting with your unattractive niece She is named Amanda, but he's calling her Patrice He bought a frozen pizza and he sells it by the piece, he says What don't you f***ing understand? Now he's stabbing at your wife what don't you f***ing understand? With a carrot for a life Give me a f***ing answer Making fun of your kazoo Oh, good for you Now he's running naked through the crowd Everyone can see he's terribly endowed Unabashedly Someone called the cops and they're coming up the block <laughs> Christian Bale is running from policemen on your street it's such a scene. Even Uncle Mervyn has to tweet. Tase him, but Christian doesn't seem to miss a beat, repeating. What don't you stop? F- they tackle him, cuff him. Now he's under their command, but he's smiling, almost like he has the upper hand. A flash of light. Christian Bale has vanished into sand. What don't you stop? F-